Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to We Gotta Talk, where we are giving you another Healthy Skin Series episode. We love to talk to brand founders, people who are disrupting and changing the beauty industry, because I know we all love to stay on top of our, you know, skincare game, our beauty game, our wellness game. And today's guest is really going to challenge in the best way possible all of the things you've heard about skincare. My guest today is the founder of Adipo. His name is Ivan Gallinin. He is also the founder of Educator, A-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R.com, which is a site aimed at holistic skincare practitioners to educate them. He was trained as a scientist as, at a major pharmaceutical company. He started two biotech companies, one to treat genetic disease, one to treat cancer. They're still up and running today. He's also a published author on the topic of aesthetics. And I cannot wait to dive into the new way that he and his brand are approaching skincare. Ivan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Delighted. Delighted. I consume a whole lot of beauty content. I would never call myself an expert, but I'm an educated enthusiast. And I came across your brand, Ivan, scrolling social media. And as I'm tend as I tend to do, kind of clicked and clicked and clicked through, got to the science behind Adipo, which is the brand you founded. And what appealed to me was this idea that we can treat our faces gentler and have good skin health, maybe better skin health than if we were constantly in this process of renewing and refreshing and exfoliating and scrubbing. So I want to know, first things first, what is your general approach to skin health? Yeah, my general approach can be summarized in this phrase, is your skin is powerful. Your skin is powerful. The industry, the aesthetics industry, has created this myth that decline of skin health is A, inevitable, progressive, B, and C, irreversible, without drastic measures. And that's just not true. So if you look at, Sony, how people age, right? We all see like absolutely vibrant, healthy 70 and 80 year olds. We see them, right? Maybe they're exceptional um, when you get into the um, um, 80 year olds, but still it's possible. And so really the question is, is the skin unique in its inability? Is it unique in its inability to restore itself? And the answer is no, there's no reason why the skin can restore itself, just like we can restore other tissue. So we can build muscle in our 70s and 80s. We can build brain in our 70s and 80s. We can build bone in our 70s and 80s. So why couldn't we possibly build skin? Yeah, and your brand is really centered around um, nurturing the fat cells that exist in the, in the dermis. Of, of the face. And um, we have been trained to think that fat is a bad thing and that we need to, you know, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. It was the fat-free craze. It was the let's replace that with any fake, now we know, destructive substance that can sort of simulate that feeling of fullness. What it seems to me that you're doing with Adipo is changing 
the way we think about that word and telling us, giving us ways to sort of enhance that fat. Can this eventually replace what a lot of people are doing with fillers? So just one, you know, one, one little anecdote before we get to the face. So I was shocked years ago when I read that you can be obese and completely healthy. So scientists created a genetic mouse, right? Genetically engineered uh, to be obese, but the mouse had healthy fat cells. And so this mouse strain had no metabolic disease, no cardiovascular disease. It could exercise performance just as good as skinny mice and lived as long. So isn't that crazy? It's crazy to me because I'm, I mean, not to be crude, but the aerodynamics of it even, I mean, like thinking about this, someone moving through a space, it just seems like it would, you, how could you be as fast or how could you be as agile, practically speaking? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question, but, but, um, the performance exercise performance time on treadmill, they measure this, these mice could do it. And most importantly, they were disease-free because if you have healthy fat, if you have healthy fat, it's not associated with disease. So that tells you that that it's not so much how much fat you have, it's how healthy it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so we, we also know that different types of fat cells populate different parts of our body. I did an, inter- an interesting interview with a board-certified plastic surgeon and an injector who was talking to me about why the BBL is going to be awful on people in another 10 years because the fat cells we're taking and moving to the buttocks are not going to live and exist in that portion of the body the same way that they existed in a different sort of geographic portion wherever they were pulled from. And this was, I mean, news to me in a lot of ways. And she made a funny joke about how everyone's rear ends are going to be falling in another 10 years. So we know there are different types of fat cells in different parts of the body, right? So then we are to believe that the face is comprised of a different type of fat cell than say our stomachs or our legs. Right. We have two actually specialized um, fat compartments in the face. We have the, uh, the facial fat, and I'll get into that, and we have dermal fat. So dermal fat is a specialized fat tissue. This, these are skin-specific cells. They're derived from the same precursors that make the fibroblasts, that make the collagen. So these are not the same uh, fat cells, the same adipocytes that we have elsewhere in our body. So we have one specialized tissue, dermal, plus we have special subcutaneous fat pads in the face um, um, that are special to the face mm-hmm. that don't exist anywhere else. And they're to cushion um, the very precious contents of the face and to maintain the facial architecture so that it doesn't change. Because so much of our identity is tied with our appearance. Sure. I mean, I have been very vocal about the facts, fact that I have gotten neuromodulators, maybe not specifically Botox, but Dysport or fillers I've had under my eyes filled because I have some genetic hollowing. So are you telling me that if I were to have taken the science that you're talking about, nurturing the fat cells, growing it, sort of nourishing it from the inside out, it could give me the same drastic results that I see, say, for example, when I got the injections under my eyes, because I 
started to see a face that was falling and gravity was winning in that, in that under eye area. And I'm, yeah. I want to know, will this type of product eventually be able to phase out that, that industry, that market? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so this is another myth, right? This is the myth that the doctors tell you, especially the guys who are doing liposuction is they say, after you become an adult, your fat cells stop regenerating. It's not true. They used to say that you you didn't have any more brain cells, right? Right. I, I distinctly remember hearing many doctors say that. In not true. And and similarly, I can't believe doctors are still telling people that fat cells don't regenerate. It's absolutely false. What is the science behind? Explain it then, uh, because if if this pervasive idea is out there, what is the science that supports what you're saying? Oh, it's 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 not a question of whether they're regenerating, right? So these are multiple uh, independent scientific groups have shown that fat cells in the body regenerate. The only debate is how much. Is it ten percent? Is it five percent per year? Is it twenty percent per year that are being right. replaced? But the idea that they're regenerating is like not scientifically disputed at all. So it's, what has been slowing our fat cells from regenerating at a one hundred percent or near one? percent rate. So when I say 100%, that means in a year, 100% of your fat cells are replaced. Okay. And I, don't, I don't believe that happens even in the face. I think that in the body, it's something like 10% of the fat cells are replaced every year. And then in the face, I think it's much higher. We don't have actual studies, but my guess is it's probably like 30%, complete guess. And then, so that's how much, right, is replaced in an optimal setting. Then we have the question of, okay, what happens to prevent that optimal regeneration? What are the things that we do that prevent that regeneration from happening? And, you know, on two extreme examples, extreme exercise, right? If you're working out, you know, five times a week, an hour intense, that exercise creates a period of inflammation for one to four hours each time after you exercise. And that inflammation prevents the regeneration of anything. Okay, wait, pause, pause, pause. Aren't workouts a good thing? Don't we want controlled inflammation in a way? We do, we do, but there's no free lunch. Everything comes at a, there's a, there's a cost and a benefit to everything. So there's nothing that is completely cost-free. So even exercise has a cost, right? Exercise. We know, like, for example, when the knees start to break down for, with runners, right? That's a cost of exercise. Now, did the runner derive, like, lots of benefits elsewhere in the body? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Exercise is great. I'm not saying don't exercise, but exercise comes at a cost because that period of inflammation post-exercise slows down regeneration. So what have what have you shown? And I know that Adipo, which is your brand, has a lot of science behind it. And I think we were very clear in the beginning of the interview, your particular experience with trialing and testing modalities and, 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 and different types of treatments. So we know that the, we know that your history of like sort of scientific method is there. But what is Adipo specifically doing and what results are you seeing boosted when it comes to facial regeneration, fat cell retention or recreation. Give us some specific numbers and data on what you're seeing, because this is a new approach for a lot of people. We're not told that you look better or have less wrinkles 
usually by boosting your fat through a, a topical thing. We're being told you lose your wrinkles and get better skin if you say slough off the top two layers of skin or shoot them with a laser or so the way you're talking about treating the same problems is just totally different than what we've been told. So I really want to understand what the science is behind it. Sure, sure. So we did a clinical study, uh, a pilot study, because we were testing a new modality, the cream, and we were testing a new uh, method of evaluating that modality. We're using a new 3D camera. So we did a pilot study with about 40 subjects. And what we saw was really interesting. We saw restoration of volume appearance occur only in the areas where people had lost it. So in other words, it was filling in the potholes, right? It was growing it was the fat where it needed to, but it wasn't overgrowing it in areas where it wasn't needed. Yeah, no. And how has that happened, right? People say, oh, the, is the cream really smart? No, the cream isn't, isn't smart at all. The cream provides one nudge, one additional signal to a you know, a set of signals that the nascent fat cells, the immature fat cells have. And basically what has to happen is the nascent fat cells need to accumulate enough positive signals, right? In the absence of negative signals, right? Or taking into account negative signals to decide, okay, now I'm gonna convert. And so the adipo is just providing one more signal and so the nascent fat cell that's sitting in an area that's replete with fat cells, that one signal isn't going to do anything because the fat cell is saying, okay, I'm getting all these negative signals. This one cream is giving me a positive signal. I'm going to ignore that. Mm -hmm. but it's, take, it's smart. It's taking what it needs from the product. The skin is really smart, right? The body is really smart. So like, but the same face, like right here where there's a pothole that's developed, like, and this is... The first area the potholes develop is right around the mouth, right around the mouth. Yeah, the, right, right here. And so there, the nascent fat cell is saying, okay, I had six positive signals and now the cream is giving me another one. Now I'm going to convert. I've got enough. And that number six is just invented. Who knows how many it, it needs, but now it's gotten one more signal. And so that's what we saw. We saw that the gains in volume appearance only occur where they're needed. Uh, okay. Yeah. What is the ingredient that's doing all this brilliant communicating then? Well, the two ingredients that stimulate regeneration in the cream are black ginger um, and uh, safflower seed oil. And Those sound so natural and simple. How can something so simple be so profound, Ivan? Because it works with the skin. It's like, it's, it's not... You know, it's not, first of all, there's, I don't want to create the idea that they're super ingredients, right? This idea of super ingredients is, is nonsense, right? But if you're working with the skin, if you understand really what the skin wants, needs to happen in order for it to restore itself, then you can nudge it in the right direction. You know, I'll give you another example, collagen, right? Why does collagen work? Why is collagen probably the most positively documented uh, modality in aesthetics because collagen supplies the body with protein, with amino acids that stimulate regeneration. And, and so collagen works with the body to do what the body wants to do anyway. Okay. I, I have to 
piggyback on this particular thought before we round up this part of the discussion. You said there's no such thing as a super ingredient. For years, though, we've been told that vitamin A, the family of vitamin A ingredients, retinol, retinol, tretinoin, et cetera, are a miracle drug. They are that super ingredient. Are you saying, in your opinion, that's not the case? Definitely not the case. Yeah, definitely not the case. So first of all, right, um, if you look at the long-term studies that were published by the people who got Retin-A approved, they all show a consistent and negative change in the structure of the skin. So, okay, there are only, there are only two long-term studies that looked at the, the biology of the skin below the surface that took biopsies in sufficient numbers, but they're consistent. And these are studies from academic groups that helped get Retin-A approved. And they both show that the epidermis thins and the dermis thins, the melanocytes are, uh, the melanin content of the skin is reduced dramatically. The, the, it's, you know, it's, there's no way that that's good for you. There's no way that that's good for you. But a lot of people say, hey, I use my retinol, retinol, et cetera, tretinoin, and I see, I love the evening of my, evening of my skin tone, meaning like it looks more even and smooth and luminous, or I love the fact they are seeing results with their eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it does do something, right? It does, I'm not saying it does nothing, right? So it has a positive effect on the surface of the skin because it's stimulating um, exfoliation, right? It's stimulating the replacement of the, of the keratinocytes, right? But, it, but again, it comes at a cost because this is not something that the skin wants to do, right? The skin is in fact, the skin is responding to Retin-A in a violent way, in a violent way. Mm -hmm. And it changes its structure, finally adapts. And when it's finished adapting, both the epidermis and dermis are structurally changed. Forever? Uh, well, no one- For the looked, time that you're using it. Well, yeah, well, no one looked afterwards, like say after four years- I see. Well, we see. We see the change in structure, but then subsequent, if you stop using it, does the structure recover? That study's never been done, yeah. Wow, okay. Gosh, when, when you put it in that way, it, it makes more sense because it sounds like there is research backing up, like you said, the short-term benefits, or we are seeing the consumer perception, as, as the industry likes to say, studies come back positively in some ways, but there is no long-term. So tell me this though, why then, at least for my skin, when I go through a period where I'm lax, on exfoliation and I'm a very like gentle with it. I maybe like, I don't know, do something once a week. Why does my skin feel like it's getting clogged and disgusting? Why does exfoliation feel exfoliation is bad or that rapid sort of forced onset exfoliation is bad. Why does my skin look so good when I do it? <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not bad. And it does have a positive effect on appearance. It's just, remember it's coming at a cost, right? Mm. You're still, you're, you're, you're provoking the skin to do something that it doesn't want to do, right? And so, so you're changing the structure of the skin away from its away from its right. natural structure that was been designed by you know years and years and years of evolution, and you're changing it. And so, 
how do you work in an adipose? Say once a week, I want to keep using, a, I don't know, a peel pad or a mask of some sort with acids. Can you work in what adipo is doing for the skin and still maintain that one, two days you a week? Can, you can stimulate exfoliation in lots of really benign ways, right? These like really like glycolic peels that are very gentle. I mean, they do the same thing without the, without the structural costs mm -hmm. of retin-A. Interesting. You can, to, you can go to an esthetician, get a, you know, a cool, uh, cool uh, 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 plasma treatment that treats just the surface of the skin, and your skin will look fantastic without all of the downside. So that's the other thing is there are great alternatives to to basically you know red retin A is a is a chemotherapeutic, right? That's that's I don't I don't know if you know that. That's, I didn't. That was the initial use of Retin-A, it was a chemotherapeutic. So there are better alternatives than, than confronting your skin with a chemotherapy. Oh, that's interesting. And you just mentioned a few that you're personally a fan of. You said a gentle exfoliation, whether it be like a, an acid peel or pa peel pad, um, the plasma injections. What else are you a fan of, generally speaking, that might be gentler on our skin long-term? Red, red light also is very, you mm. know, it's very, you know, used properly. It stimulates uh, the skin, it stimulates all the cells in the skin, um, and, and, and that's a positive when, you, when used, you know, me in a measured way. Right. Okay. I love that. You, I do want to dive into this other myth that, that you, were, uh, you and I were, were communicating about before the interview, which is the myth that wounding is a positive modality. We kind of touched on this in regards to retinol in particular, but um, you talk about wounding skin. It's easy to do. You get that predictable repair response, but there's a downside too. So what do you think about lasers? You know, um, I, you know, I think that um, no one has really studied the impact of continuous laser use, um, long-term effects on uh, the structure of the skin. So we don't know like, you know, what these like non-ablative -ab uh, laser procedures uh, do uh, long-term structurally. All, you know, basically whenever you do the study, you, uh, the way the study structured is the lasers applied, you know, two weeks later, you know, the skin looks great. No one, no one, uh, no one worries. Okay. What's the downstream effect, but um, every intervention that creates a wounding response in the skin leaves behind some amount of scar tissue, right? So some of the scar tissue, uh, is is uh, is removed by the skin. It will remove some scar tissue, but some is left behind. And so the question is, what is the impact of repetitive wounding, right? In terms of increasing that residual scar tissue over time. And of course, there's no one who's done that study. Mm -hmm. But we know that we know that that we know that that's happening. We know that that's happening. And we know too that the dialogue in the in the aesthetics industry, at least from the consumer side, which is what I can speak to, um, seems to really want to support the more the better. 
come in, let me give you a chemical peel. It's a 30% or come in. I've got this great new laser. We're going to put you under, we're going to burn through your whole epidermis and you're going to wake up with the skin of a six month old baby. I mean, this is, and I'm sure this is what you're aiming to sort of um, change with your website, educator.com. But we are told as consumers, more the better. Let me just burn that up a little bit. And when it grows back, it'll be even better than before. So it's this type of treatment is supported by the, the, the lines were being sold by the industry. Well, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst phrase is it builds collagen, right? This is the justification for any procedure. If it builds collagen, it's gotta be, it's gotta be good, right? So for example, Sculptra, right? Sculpt- I've gotten Sculptra. Tell me more. Sculptra builds collagen, right? Absolutely. Natural collagen. Scar tissue. It builds scar tissue. Because what is, what is Sculptra? Sculptra is polyl lactic acid. Mm-hmm. It's a biodegradable plastic. It's injected. And what does the immune system do? It says, look, it's a foreign invader. I don't, you know, I'm not used to seeing um, polyl lactic acid. So I'm going to build a scar tissue around this pellet. And over time, that scar tissue grows. And that's why the effects of Sculptra take weeks to build, build up because that, it's that scar tissue that's creating the volume with, 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 with Sculptra. So, so is this bad long-term, Ivan? I'm scared now. <laughs> well, you know, no, you know no, one, no one does really long-term studies. Um, and so what we, we, we are learning that with all filler, right, with all filler, mm-hmm. not just with sculpture, with, with all filler, it stays a lot longer than mm-hmm. we think it does. Um, you know, I think, you know, eight, 10 years in some cases. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and like you said about the exercise, the cost benefit analysis is there, right? You might get that short term filling in of the area that you think needed the volume, but you're right. Who knows what 10, 15, 20 years down the line we're going to see. And interestingly enough, the same surgeon, plastic surgeon that I mentioned earlier um, had a very specific warning against uh, Sculptra in particular. She said makes her job so much harder getting into the deeper layers of the face, cutting through that scar tissue is harder than regular, uh, you know, regular traditional, whatever muscle and fat that she's coming through. So, I mean, it's a learning curve for sure. I mean, we're, we're trying our best out here, you know, to look good, Ivan. And it seems like there's no good options. No, there are, options. There, there are, there, there are great options and they're the same options that we use for the rest of our body. Protein rich, fiber rich diet, regular, moderate amounts of exercise, sleep, mental hygiene. These are all, you know, th- the skin is but no they're different. not going to lift my jowls, though. You know they, what I mean? They, <laughs> they're they, not going to make me not are. look tired. They, are no, they? They, actually, they actually are. They, they, actually, they actually are. So, um, so, you know, if we're so protein, right? Protein is delivering nutrients to the nascent fat cells through the circulation. Exercise is keeping the, the mature fat cells skinny and productive. These are the pillars of skincare. They're like 80% of skincare, I think is just like 80% of health is diet, exercise, and sleep. You know, between the three of them, that's skincare. The rest, the rest, if you've got those things, 
the little nudges, the little nudges will make the difference. Little nudges being filler? Uh, no, the little <laughs> nudges being 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 red light, right. uh, microcirculation, um, microneedling, um, massage, uh, topicals. Um, those are the those are the nudges. Those are the the last steps. They're they're the refinements. Refinements, yeah. Um, we had talked offline and and before this interview as well about. Um, your thoughts on Botox, or a neuro, we kind of use that term generally here. So neuromodulators, we'll say. Um, I was listening to an interesting interview with Joanna Check, who's like a renowned aesthetics expert and founder and facialist, trained you know thousands of hours over in Europe, and she explained recently on a podcast why she doesn't like Botox, and it was very interesting to me. And I want to know if you agree. She said that freezing one point of the skin, which essentially is what we're doing, because we're not freezing the whole face, is causing long-term structural damage to the overall thing of the face. If you think about it like a curtain, if you just pin it up in one spot, it's still going to blow in the wind. It's just going to blow in different places. So long-term, it's kind of destroying that scaffolding, the thing that's supposed to be holding up the curtain. So I want to know if you agree with her and why or why not. I think people like Joanna Check have a unique perspective because they're seeing people's skin, they're feeling it, they're, they're sensing. And our esthetician partners have told us, yes, Botox, the skin of people who do regular Botox is not as uh, elastic, not as pliable as uh, non-Botox skin. So there, I mean, it's not my judgment, it's the judgment of the estheticians we work with. They'll tell you the same thing. Um, so yeah, take it from them. They know, because they, they feel it. They feel how the skin responds to their touch. Yeah. And, and, you know, you do really have to talk to someone who has that type of experience, right? Cause they're seeing what we were referencing, referencing before, which is like the five, 10, 25 years down the line, maybe the studies aren't tracking it, but these people are seeing people come in over a, a period of years and they're probably noticing certain trends or how that particular individual skin feels and looks in the texture. So I do tend to, even though you couldn't call that clinical in any way, sort of believe what the people who have that hands-on experience are saying. Yeah, brittle and shiny. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's almost like porcelain skin, right? It's smooth and it reflects really well. I've also noticed something, I don't know what the science behind this is, but like overly Botoxed, Botoxed skin, you kind of see the pores more for for a little while. I don't, I don't know why that's happening. Is it the immobility that's like Letting I don't know about I don't know about the pores, but I know about the shininess. So the shininess is uh, due to the um, enervation, the loss of nerve activity, and uh, shiny, brittle skin was first identified as uh, by surgeons in the Civil War uh, of amputee victims uh, or amp amputee uh, patients of uh, victims. So the skin around the amputation would be shiny and brittle. And this was, this was skin that wasn't uh, innervated properly, which is the same thing you're seeing with Botox skin. What does innervated mean? Meaning supplied by ner nerve activity, you know, little movements. Wow. Okay, you're making me want to stop. All I mean, I, I, I have this policy, and this is for the listeners more than you, Ivan, but I've talked about it before. I'm on a strict six-month frame. What if I do my Botox in my forehead and not my eyes, I will wait at least six months. I like to get my movement back. You can see in this interview, I'm at that point right now. I feel like 
if you're going to do it, the skin needs that time to act normal and be normal between because decades and decades of frozen face. I just, I feel like it can't be a good thing, but this is just a layman's opinion. So I don't want anybody thinking there's proof to this, but what I'm saying is what you're saying jibes with my common sense approach. Right. And unfortunately there's, there's no place where common sense, where, where everyday experience gets recorded, tallied and, 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 and shown people. And that's really one of the reasons why I created educator, which is ultimately we're going to collect this information in a systematic fashion. And we're going to show people, look, this is what happens. Um, yes. So uh, skincare professionals essentially will go to educator, which is AED, as we said, begins with an AE and go there, share their, like we said about Joanna check, share those hands-on experiences, tell about what's working in their practice or their experience. And it's sort of a place for them to do that collectively. Correct. And to learn the basic biology, right? That's my, that's my job. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of estheticians have training, but it's more applied, right? And so I'm giving them that, uh, that, that basic biology, that terminology to express what their experience is. Mm-hmm. So they can express their experience in some more scientific ways. Let's talk a little bit about, and you covered these at sort of disparate points during the interview, but I want to have them in one spot because um, people love a good list. Keeping your fat fit. You mentioned modalities that you think are great for if you're going to stop your injections, if you're going to stop um, overly aggressively exploiting the skin, what are the modalities we should be trying? And you you sent me a list beforehand, but I kind of want to run through them so they're all in one spot at home and outside the home. Right. So- the, uh, the best things to do at home is to eat a protein-rich diet. That's, and number two is regular moderate exercise. Those are, if you do those two, that's great. If you want to supplement at-home microneedling with just a shallow 0.25 millimeter device or even a device with knobs on it that doesn't puncture the skin at all, just to stimulate the circulation, positive. Lymphatic drainage massage, big positive. It keeps the excess lymph from going into the fat cells and making them too big. That's a positive. Um, those are really, you know, those are really the great things we can do at home. If we have a profession where we're using our mouth too much, and it's causing loss of volume around the mouth. Face taping. What, how does that look? And where are we taping? I've heard all about this. I just haven't personally tried it. Oh, I'll, I'll have to direct you to uh, with a link to a, a good source. But this is something that the estheticians are telling me is working really well. And, okay. Um, yeah. So basically, they're taking the same concept of taping the muscles and other parts of the body for restoration and then applying this to the face. And what that does is that prevents the excess muscle activity. It gives it a pause. So for the fat cells around the mouth to be able to regenerate more uh, positively. Okay. Um, and you also mentioned cool plasma treatment. What is that? Cool plasma is a, a really benign um, treatment of the surface of the skin, much more benign than laser, where they create a... Um, an, a um, a, a change the antioxidant oxidant balance on the skin with this electrical charge. 
And it just, and it, and it has to be delivered properly for the right amount of time. But if, it, if, if it's done uh, properly, it really helps restore the surface of the skin, removes any inf inflammatory tone that the skin has. It's really, it's really a big deal. Um, and uh, estheticians are getting great results with it. Okay. I want to run through a quick lightning round and just get a peek into what your routine looks like, some other favorites that you have in like the health and wellness space. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So tell me um, how your skincare routine looks. I want morning and I want night and I want product specifics. Oh, that's, that's terrible. I only use my own product and, and I, and I forget a lot of the time, but really I try to focus on diet. I try to focus on exercise snacking, which means like, two or three minutes of exercise scattered throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And really my biggest practice, the thing that I'm really working on is mental health, mental hygiene. Um, so I do, um, I do lots of breathing exercise, yoga nidra. Um, What's that? Really, it's, a, it's a form of uh, yogic sleep where your mind is awake, but your body is asleep and it allows you to get in tune with your body and really um, rest, rest your body. Um, it's really, if you look at the reason people don't exercise and don't eat a good diet is, and those are, if we think of those as the pillars of, of skincare and healthcare, mm -hmm. the, the main reason why people don't do those things is because lack of motivation, anxiety, uh, negative self-thoughts, Mm -hmm. And so really underneath everything is mental hygiene. That's that interesting. Like, Are you a meditator in general too? Do you like, in addition to the, the, the yoga practice you just mentioned, are you like trying to take your five, 10, 15, 20 minutes separately every day? I'm, I'm not like, I'm not someone who I'm, I'm too impatient. So mm -hmm. the types of, the types of uh, exercises that I do are, are much more active. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do the breathing, I do the yoga nidra. Though in yoga nidra, you're, you're listening to a recording and you're getting prompts to move your prana from one part of the body to another. And so it's not where, it's, it's good for people with a frantic brain like me because we can direct our activity and just calm, calm down. What supplements can you not live without? You know, the only supplement that I take is uh, is fiber, you know, because it's so difficult to get enough fiber with, with the diet. That's like, for me, you know, I recognize how difficult it is for people to change behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's really the only one that I've been able to make stick. Okay. What about a practice that some would consider out of the box, a health or wellness practice? This could be physical health or mental health. We mentioned one already with your yoga practice, but what else? Cold exposure, you know, mm. cold exposure is fantastic, you know, uh, for, for everyone, but especially for exercisers, because it actually it will damp down the post-exercise inflammation. And so, yeah, so if, you, if you're a big exerciser, cold shower, cold plunge, and uh, tart cherry juice after your exercise. Yeah. That, that stimulates like a natural melatonin response, right? The the, the, juice? I, I don't know about that, but it's the only anti-inflammatory supplement that I could find, which was not anti-adipogenic. So something like curcumin, 
which is considered to be right. like, you know, so anti-inflammatory, it actually also prevents fat cells from regenerating. So it took me a long time to find one that I could recommend that was both um, anti-inflammatory, but not anti-adipogenic. You live your philosophy, your product philosophy, Ivan, and I love it. Protecting the fat cells. You really yes. live it. You do. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. What do you think the next big trend in health and beauty is? I think as we've discussed, it's moving away from, it's moving away from wounding and really it's, you know, let's, let's talk about cancer for a second. So cancer, right. When you, when you, when you look at autopsies of people who die, you know, in their eighties, nineties, hundreds, they all have cancer. They all have tumors in their bodies. It's just that the tumors have not progressed to the point that they've impact lifespan. Hmm. So there's a threshold effect, right? So we can live with cancer, right? We can live with cancer into our 80s and 90s if it doesn't get too bad. And so I think that with skincare, we're going to start moving and, and trying to delay the threshold effect where things go so badly from so many different angles that the skin is no longer able to maintain itself. Hmm. And it's gonna be little bits and pieces from everywhere. And what, what that's gonna do is gonna, it's gonna delay the, the, the cliff from your 60s, right? To your 70s and 80s. That hmm. I think is really, you know, it's the first time I've, anyone's asked me the question, but um, if I were, and I'm answering off the top of my head, but I think that's going to be the solution is we're going to see is like, all right, we can push this cliff mm -hmm. off to the 70s and 80s just by doing, combining all the little things that we talked about. The more I talk to people, the more it sounds like Ivan, the answers to like the biggest problems in the universe are the simplest ones, right? Or best off when we just let our bodies do what they're supposed to do or let our minds rest, not more, but less. It's just interesting to hear you talk about this, especially from the perspective of scientific researcher. I mean, you have had experience in a lab watching the impact of various modalities on, like you said, cancer or, or in, in, in regards to another um, progressive disease that you had been working on treating as well through a different therapy. It's just, it's just interesting to me to hear all, all these experts in these various fields say, you know what, sometimes the answer is just like the simplest one, right? It's the, we have to remember that our bodies are incredibly, incredibly complicated and, 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 you know, and, and major interventions, simplistic interventions really don't work. Hmm. We need to nudge, we need to balance rather than to think like, all right, we understand everything and we're just going to shift everything in this direction. I would like to end on a note that's a little more broader than skincare or beauty. And that is given your experience in the medical field and the pharmaceutical industry, what has given you hope that we will be, let's leave skin aside for the moment and overall body health. What has given you the most hope that we may eventually live in maybe not a disease free world, but like you said, a world where life quality is extended. What's what specific things are giving you that hope? Oh, it's, 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 um, it's, it, there's a clear number one, and that is that people are, um, people want direct information. I don't know if you listen mm -hmm. to the Huberman Lab podcast, mm -hmm. but it has like 2 million 
subscribers, maybe has more now, but the idea that 2 million people, right, will listen to a three-hour talk about protein is gives me hope because it means that there are people out there who want to understand for themselves, mm-hmm. right, who want to understand for themselves. And once you have informed uh, people collecting information, they're going to be making all those little decisions for themselves based on like what you said, their own personal experience. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be solving their own uh, health issues instead of just looking at the average mm-hmm. is what is what the clinical trials right now are doing. We're moving to an N of one. What does that mean? means that we're, I'm treating myself and what's good for me may be just a little bit different on, on, on modality X on parameter Y than what's good for you. I so, love that. Yeah. We're moving to N of one and your shows, the shows that are really giving people uh, knowledge and provoking them to go find out more and mm-hmm. not take the accepted wisdom. That's going to hasten this, um, this, this, this um, renaissance. Ah, this, I have the chills right now. You know, everyone likes to roll their eyes at people who say, do your own research. And it's easy to be judgmental given how that phrase has been associated with certain movements or, or, or moments. But um, you can't ignore that that's, that's part of the answer is to find, like you said, specific to you, what testing it is you need what supplement it is that you need. And the more you learn, the more you listen to people who are innovative in their own industries, I feel like the better off it is, the better off you are eventually. Absolutely, yeah. If you hear the same thing, if the same thing you hear from multiple different sources and it resonates with your insight, there you go. Ivan, this has been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for letting this, letting us uh, pick your brain and get all this great information. This interview has been a long time in the making. We've been in contact for, oh gosh, over a year now trying to sort of nail down a time. So thank you so much for letting me, letting me talk with you and interview you today. It's been my pleasure. You're great at what you do. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of We Gotta Talk. If you don't mind, I would love if you could leave a rating and review. Those help this show to get out to people who might find it useful or entertaining. I'm so grateful for your support. Please follow on Instagram at Sunny Abada or check out our latest blog post at wegotatalk.com slash blog. See you next time.